when we were young men and we saw injustice, we fought it. Now we know that some problems cannot be solved with a sword. And some can't be settled without one. Here is the problem at hand. The Jesuits oppose Louis' wars and the starvation that results. So, Louis has ordered me to discover the true identity of the general of the Jesuit order and to kill him. The problem is that I am he. I am the general of the order of Jesuits. What do you propose to do? Replace the king. Hey everyone, welcome to The Boot, part two of the Summer Blockbuster Special. I like how you just gave it a name. I can't even remember what you said before. That's right! It's The Boot! We are recasting classic movie reboots, so atrocities like this won't happen again. Uh, guys, I'm Brian Flynn and the prisoner in the cell screaming for her life to be over because this movie took so much from her. Mm-hmm. This movie is your Iron Mask, isn't it? It is a little bit. Kenna Trent. Kenna, how are you? I. It took me three days to watch this movie. It took me a while. I paid attention to most of it. <laughs> I remember it, but... Here's the thing that I, I realized watching this movie is oh, that... sorry, guys... The movie we're doing this week as part two of our summer blockbuster special is the 1998 action drama The Man in the Iron Mask, starring John Malkovich, Jeremy Iron, Gerard Depardieu, who plays D'Artagnan, Gabriel Byrne, and of course, Captain of the Pussy Posse himself, Leo DiCaprio. (laughs) You you gave him a a title. Um, Um, Like there are lieutenants in the Pussy Posse. um, And this is part two of the episode we did last week. Of the 1993 Three Musketeers. So if you haven't listened to that one, you might want to hear this one because we're going to kind of recast that uh, reboot as an older generation for this Yeah, movie. we're like recasting the recast. Yeah, it's weird. Which is kind of wild. Well, it's summer. It's time for sequels. That's what this this yeah. whole idea was oh, about. Oh, yeah. For sure. So what were you saying? This movie, um, Sleepy Time. Sleepy <laughs> Time for Kenna. I was saying that I think I think that I had thought that I had seen this movie. And now I'm wondering what I thought this movie was because there was a point where I was like, I haven't seen this movie and (laughs) it is not good. Um, Whatever I thought this movie was is better in my memory, but I don't know what it is because this is brand new to me. So everything that made the 1993 Disney Three Musketeers great and Mm -hmm. special, this movie had none of. Yeah, I think honestly that if this movie had ended with a – um, soaring love ballad, I would have immediately jumped on board <laughs> even after back. having watched the whole tr- garbage pile that was on fire. Okay, well, we'll get into our reboot when Ken and I pick our top five characters from this movie and reboot them as if the movie was being re- remade today. But before we do that, let's talk about some reboot news. Also another light week. Maybe they're taking the summer off because all the sequels are coming out. Yeah, they announced it. Now we got to wait for them to make all these trash movies. Oh, God. All right. Why don't you take this one? Idris Elba is set to direct and star in the Hunchback of Notre Dame movie for Netflix. Do any of those words make sense? The actor has signed on to star in, direct, and produce a new film version of the Hunchback of Notre Dame for Netflix. Um, Entertainment Weekly has confirmed this. Michael Mitnick 
is writing the as-yet-untitled script, which will be a modern retelling of Victor Hugo's 1831 novel. The story was most famously adapted into the 1996 Disney movie, and it tells the tale of a hunchback named Quasimodo who falls in love with a gypsy named Esmeralda. Like the Disney movie, Elba's version is described as a sonic and musical experience, and Elba will also be producing the film's music. Did you know Idris Elba makes music? Yeah, because I follow him on Instagram. Okay. Have you ever listened to Idris Idris Elba's music? Yeah, he's like a it's like a it's like house music, right? It's like house soul, and I listened to some of it today, and I wanted to rip my ears off. <laughs> Whoa! I've seen it before. I've seen that look on your face. I've seen those tears behind the eyes. It's a hard place to come from when you. Let your guard down. Let this brother enter your private garden. I guess it's not for me. Mm -hmm. But I also don't know who it's for. This is confusing to me. I'll say, I think I mentioned this in the last episode. My favorite Disney movie of all time is The Hunchback. And if you're like, that's insane, go rewatch it because it's beautiful. The music is stellar. The whole thing is stunning. I've seen the stage production twice. Cried both times. Out there where they all live on Where what I give What I dare Just to live one day out there What is a modern retelling of this? And why does it need his music? The second part is what I'm most uh, curious about. Exactly. Why does it need his music? Yeah. Why doesn't it have anyone else's music? This Okay. But to the first part. Now it says a quote unquote modern retelling. That yeah. doesn't – I don't think that necessarily means – it's set in the modern time because that would be impossible for us to not know of a hunchbacked man living in the cathedral of Notre Dame. But what if it was like any any other like physical deformity, any infirmity, like anything else? Then I don't, would it be the hunchback of Notre Dame? I mean, I don't – like nobody rings bells anymore either. I don't right. know what to do with this. <laughs> I don't think – I really hope it's not a modern version but rather a modern – retelling quote-unquote is what they say so it's just like let's keep it in the period that it takes place in because that makes the most logical sense coming at it with a 2018-2019 viewpoint like what is this what is what does a story about a disabled hero mean to us now as opposed to it did in 1996 or whenever you know the story is being retold again and again i mean it's got to be dark yeah i mean it, the story is always dark mm -hmm. the music is just still why <laughs> Um, I, but you know, what's funny. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. 100%. I'm going to watch this. I love Idris Elba. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, if Netflix, if Netflix is going to pick up the tab, I mean, I'm a subscriber. Let's give me that. Give me that content. Right. Like we get it. We just get it. Everybody has Netflix. Like I know. you're not gonna, you're not just going to pass this up. You could watch five minutes of it and decide yeah. you don't like it. Okay, let's get into the reboot. Kenna, let's go through the rules. The rules. 
this is a podcast best listened to with an open IMDb. We may talk about some people you've never heard of and you're going to want to look them up. We will be talking about a movie that you may not have seen. You may not remember that you haven't seen it. That happened to me. So uh, if you haven't seen it, maybe pause it and go. I I don't know what to tell you. I did not particularly enjoy it. But. Uh, you might you might find some things in there that are you know funny. I don't think it's a great movie, but um, watch it because I think Jeremy Irons kills it. Mm-hmm. But if you if you get bored with it, I guess read the book. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio is pretty. Um, now to the rules. Number one, no remakes, reboots, or long lost sequels. Like we said last time, we're like breaking this rule all over the place. So to sort of replace this, we're just saying that we're recasting a movie that we know has been redone a million times, but to settle the remake that was made in 2011, we cannot cast anyone in this remake who was in the 2011 remake of the three musketeers. Yeah. I had to clarify that with you because yeah. And I said, no, <laughs> Don't do it. Um, rule number two, no imaginary casting. Our dream cast must be made up of actors that are alive and working today. Rule number three, no tender casting. We can't cast someone just based on how they look. Don't cast someone who looks like Gerard Depardieu in anything. Just don't do it. <laughs> He's, he is a ham of a man. He is sweaty and gross and his hair is stringy. Yeah. And I didn't like looking at him. That's very harsh. I apologize. Uh, yeah, you have to be able, have seen their work and be able to vouch for their talent. Guys, this is the reboot of The Man in the Iron Mask. We will replace Louis with Philippe. That is your plan? Exchanging one for the other? It's ludicrous. What did you imagine we were up to? Revolution. Open war. Blood in the streets. Physical resemblance is but a beginning. Louis has an arrogance, a manner. Do you imagine I've not considered that? That I have not considered everything? Have you considered that it is not only our lives that you risk? It is Philippe's as well? Yes, unlike us, he has a choice. So, this episode, we are recasting the same four musketeers that we cast last time. Mm -hmm. D'Artagnan, played by um, Gabriel Byrne. Athos, played by John Malkovich. Porthos, played by Gerard Depardieu. Aramis, played by Jeremy Irons. This time, however, we're going to do King Louis XIV. Uh Uh-huh. Um, played by Leo DiCaprio. Now, and spoiler alert, his brother Philippe. Philippe. Yes. So technically, we're doing six characters yeah. now. Um, just to recap our last podcast, if you haven't listened to it, the picks were as such: Ken and I both picked Tom Holland for D'Artagnan. Mm-hmm. Ken and I both picked Sam's for our Athos. <laughs> However, I picked Sam Hewen, and you picked Sam Claflin. Claflin. Yeah. Uh, Porthos, you picked um, Daniel Ings. Daniel Ings. I picked Adam Driver. For Aramis, I picked Daniel Kaluuya. And you picked Jack O'Connell. Jack O'Connell. So if you don't know who those people are, um, pull over. If you're listening to this in car, get out of the shower. If you're listening in the shower, go on IMDb. Get those actors in your head. um, And we'll, you know, we'll try and remind you guys as we go through our picks for the older versions of these guys. Now, I only wrote one note for this movie. That's so odd. I had so much to say about this. Great. I'll let you take it. <laughs> let me just say my one note. And it just said, come on, Christine. Come on. <laughs> oh, boy. Which- what is she doing? Okay. So if you haven't seen this movie. Uh, <laughs> we need to have a 
full like hour long podcast about Peter Sarsgaard. Raul, yeah, Raul played by uh, Peter Sarsgaard. Sarsgaard, he's not a Sarsgaard. Right, Sarsgaard, son of Athos, Mm -hmm. is about to marry this woman, Christine. King Louis, his eye falls on Christine. Decides, I want to have sex with this woman. Yeah. Fuck your fiance. I'm sending him to the war where he ultimately dies. And then he woos Christine into his bed. Mm -hmm. And the whole time I just kept being like, come on, Christine. What are you doing? Have you no. Yeah. I received a letter from Raoul. He sent it to the palace. Knowing that he would die. And I would be here. How would you know that? I can't guess what he was thinking. He was irrational. He forgives me for all that he knew I would do. But can I forgive myself? I mean, it's it's almost like Tale as Old as Time. It's biblical. It's David and Bathsheba. I don't guys get that read, reference. Guys, read the Bible. <laughs> I don't get that reference at all, kind of, um, as you wear your church shirt. <laughs> <laughs> guys, I just came from church, so I'm feeling very um, holy. I just kept being like, what are you doing, girl? She falls into bed very quickly. Quickly? Immediately. <laughs> Raul dies. Next yeah. night, she comes to dinner. That night, I think they sleep. To, she sleeps well, with King Louis. Th- this is problematic as, at its source, but in a way, I sort of get it because she gets the invitation from him, goes and is like, I don't want anything else, but like, help me take care of my mom who has like tuberculosis, which. Yeah. Come on. During that time, who didn't have tuberculosis? Yeah. Um Everyone was ripe with syphilis. Oh, so gross. Could you even imagine? Mm-hmm. Um, wow, you said that very quickly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can imagine. I can imagine there was um, disease in the 17th so century. In, in a very backwards way and in a way I don't agree with, I think at a certain point she's like, oh, like he already intended to fully take care of my family. Got to do what a girl's got to do. Oh, boy. Well – all right, well, what, let's get into the recast. Uh, let's start with D'Artagnan. So this movie takes place about 25 years after the original events of mm-hmm. The Three Musketeers. Musketeers are broken. Uh, they're, I mean, the musketeers are still going strong, but the three main musketeers or four main musketeers are kind of doing their own thing. Corruption has reemerged. Mm-hmm. There's a different king. It's the previous king's son. And he is a tyrant. Yes. There's no, like, other figure controlling him. Egomaniac. He himself is yeah. the the villain. Let's talk about D'Artagnan. Okay. Played he's, by Gabriel Byrne. He's still serving. He's still a musketeer. As a musketeer. He, this is what was so interesting about this cast, is trying to find the people that would best represent their older versions. Mm-hmm. Um, I kept thinking of like, so Tom Holland, who we both picked for D'Artagnan, the first mm-hmm. one is this bright, fresh-eyed kind of um, adventurer, child mm-hmm. adventurer. <laughs> Uh, the George uh, Campbell hero's journey. And so I was trying to think of an actor who would play the veteran, you know, the veteran mm-hmm. that he wasn't all those years ago, that he looked up to, you know, back in the first movie. I guess that's a segue for me to go first. Yeah, do it. Um, <clears throat> I picked Christian Bale. Are you praying? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Are you praying for my soul? I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know how I feel about it either. This is this He's a is, very intense actor. He's an incredibly part. intense actor, which is why I I um which is why I picked him. I kept thinking about I kept thinking about 310 to Yuma. 
Okay. That he started with Russell Crowe. Like mm-hmm. someone who was going to do the right thing, even if it cost him his life and the life of like those he loved. You cannot ask me to betray my king. I have sworn an oath. When a king is dishonorable, you are removed from your oath of honor. An oath is an oath precisely because it cannot be removed. Why do you follow him, D'Artagnan? Why? What we fought for is greater than king or rank or reward. What do you fight for now? I fight for the belief that every man can be better. Even Louis. And that's who D'Artagnan is in this movie. He is blindly loyal to King Louis simply because he is the king. And even as the information slowly rolls out, he's still loyal to Louis, even betraying the men who he holds like absolute trust with and in. He still stands by this piece of shit until the very end. And I was just kind of like, well, I I mean, yeah. Not to spoil the entire movie, but there's another reason he's completely loyal to him. Right. And it's because he is the king's true father. Right. Because Louis Thirteenth was too effeminate. I feel like a crazy person saying that. Um, which is crazy. So, like, what happened to Constance? Like, what happened to that true yeah. love? What, what happened, happened to, to Constance? Love? What happened to Connie? Uh, she Maybe was. She, she loved him so, so much. much. Maybe she died. Maybe they did have a relationship and they and they died. Or she died and then he was no, like. No. Because how old friends, was- friends fall in love in the arms of each other once, you know. Wait. Or like, like <laughs> maybe he was with Constance uh, and she died. Okay. But she's the queen's homegirl. And so in. The you queen know, felt obligated. No, I just mean like in a state <laughs> of mourning, they were like, hey, we're in love. But, but it's here's also like, the thing, oh. too, about D'Artagnan's character. This this movie is especially terrible, it, especially bad about doing the thing where they pronounce his name only with a French accent. This movie posits that D'Artagnan is the most famous person in France. Yeah. That people like literally at one point he like emerges out of like a gate at the castle and there's all these like plebes out there like we're starving. And yeah. he and when they see him, they're all like oh, D'Artagnan like. Everybody knows who this guy is. He is just the – yeah, he's the superhero of his day, Um, which is wild to me because I'm like, is that – like maybe that's what we're missing here is that like he became some massive superstar and the queen was like – Maybe. I'm into that too. I mean – I'm not opposed to casting Spider-Man as a young D'Artagnan and then casting Batman as the older D'Artagnan. <laughs> If we're talking about superheroes here, but I I agree, it's it's strange that he is like the most famous man in the kingdom over the king. Also, he might have superpowers. Who, D'Artagnan? <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? Can we talk about when he kills the um he kills the Jesuit that's trying to murder the king? He literally oh, yeah. like whips his sword through the air through and a water fountain in the chest. And then in the, in the same vein, he tosses an apple into the air and is like, shing, shing, shing. It was a tomato and he just kebobbed Spears it. Spears it. I mean. I love that. He, and then he takes the most delicate bite. You're right. It is rotten. I'll speak to the king myself. It's like, <laughs> of course it's rotten. They just told you it's what rotten. What a jerk. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, I don't know how I feel about it, but I thought. Um, I don't know. This is the thing that I took and this is what I did with this whole cast is like these guys probably saw a lot of war between then and now. So Mm -hmm. I wanted people that would have those kind of wrinkles on their face. 
And I think if like Christian Bale is going to be as far removed from Tom Holland as possible. Mm-hmm. So that's why I picked him. I was like, I think he's a incredible actor, obviously. Um, and he has played that kind of, you know, loyal to a fault before. And I just, I just thought it would be interesting to see a version of D'Artagnan that's, you know, on the other side and completely different from, cause like, the original D'Artagnan would have done anything the Three Musketeers did. Mm-hmm. They would have been, you know, together no matter what. And now he's just like, fuck you guys, you know? And I think that's important to have, to be able to do as an, well, I guess it's not really, it's going to be in the writing, but I don't know. I, ju- I just got Christian Bale and I used him. Sure. Do you hate um, it? Just say you hate it. I don't, I don't think I get it. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, okay. Sure. Um, yeah, I think I felt a little precious about D'Artagnan in this movie because I think Gabriel Byrne gives the best performance in this whole movie. He is the most, I don't want to say sincere because I think everyone's sincere. It just comes off really weird, but I thought he was really phenomenal and maybe less so in the way that I thought of them as, as more, uh, weathered, and war worn. I just wanted to pick someone who could play that flip side of, you know, if Tom Holland is playing a uh, young, foolish D'Artagnan, I wanted to pick someone who on the other side of everything would be noble and loyal and just like have fully made that journey. And so I picked Matthew Good. Yeah, I know who he is. <laughs> He's in Watchmen. He's in Watchmen. He most recently appeared in the newest season of The Crown. He is also in Downton Abbey. Uh, Some people my age who are female may remember him as the uh, first kid's bodyguard who she falls in love with in Chasing Liberty. He's in The Imitation Game. That's how Mm -hmm. I remember him. Um, And I like him a lot. Yeah, that's a good pick. Um, I don't know this guy's work too well outside of um, the two movies that I've seen him in. He's pretty good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't. We haven't I, convinced the, each other. That's the thing. I don't know. Is like I don't think our casts are bad. I think we're really just kind of echoing our sentiment about this movie. You know what I mean? Like our displeasure for this movie. But I think this movie could be good. Yeah, I do too. It's just if you me. cut out like forty minutes of it. <laughs> Okay, Matthew Goad. Goad or good? Good. Matthew Good. Good with an E. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to find a dovetail out of this segment. Into yeah, this segment. yeah, sure, sure, sure. Well, well, let's just move on to our first defunct musketeer, Athos. Played by the John Malkovich. I oh my gosh. love John Malkovich. I even love him in this movie. It's our second Malkovich. Yeah. I just don't know why he was in this movie. Like, Ugh. I was just like... This is a, the strangest fucking choice. Oh my choice. gosh. He, uh, here's, the, here's the problem with how he played this character is that Athos is the one, the, he has like the heart story yeah. of this movie. It's his son who is essentially murdered by the king. Yeah. He, like, he is the one who takes up the cause that like the king's got to go. D'Artagnan, I have never known a finer man than you, nor cared more for a friend. But if this king harms my son merely to take a lover, then this king will become my enemy. 
and so will any man that stands between that enemy and me. And it's huge. But the way he played it made me so sad. Like there were parts where I was like, "Ugh, he's making me too upset to want to watch. Isn't that a good thing? The movie. Wait, what do you mean? That's that's how. No, it was like upsettingly sad. Like I was I was like, Ugh, I can't even watch him like have have a breakdown. <laughs> I don't understand. Isn't that the job of an actor is to make you feel how they feel in that moment? But it wasn't in a good way. I'm I just felt confused. <laughs> I just felt gross. Maybe it was his hair. Oh, yeah. Their hair is so <laughs> gross in this movie. Like I just kept trying to figure out how they did what they did to them. Like from the rock star quaffs of the 1993 version all the way to this like poxed yeah. hair, pl- like, hair plug look. It's like they haven't like, showered in three years. I was just like, just make him bald. Yeah, he's why not? Al- just, he's already bald. Just shave his head. Like, or just- put a wig. I I don't think this thing was a wig. Like, why not put a wig on him? I don't know. I don't know. I think that choice was strange. I don't know. I I I don't know. All right, who do you who do you have? <laughs> okay. Who do you have? Oh, and remind us who your original cast was. Okay, so the. Athos that I picked for the Three Musketeers was Sam Claflin. Uh-huh. And so the Athos that I picked for the Man in the Iron Mask was Carrie Elwes. Mm, that's a good that's a good evolution. So I like Carrie Elwes for this because I think he can give a really honest performance. Yeah. But still keep it because I think I mean, and I don't mean to immediately bring this into a the larger issue, but I think what this movie lacked was a sense of humor. It really does. There's no comedy in this whatsoever until like the montage when they're teaching like Louis to dance. And yeah. It's just like, and I think they, they thought that Gerard Depardieu would carry the weight of but the comedy. But that just made me sad. And it doesn't work. Um, These characters made me so sad. I know. They're really, I think, <laughs> okay, well, we're getting a little off topic here, but um, for Athos, I think you're right. It's, He's the emotional core of these musketeers. Like for him, this whole plot, it's Aramis's plan, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't really go into effect until Athos loses Raoul. They wouldn't be doing this if Raoul hadn't died. Once I, once all of us believed in spending our lives in the service of something greater than ourselves. But we all had a common dream that one day we would finally be able to serve a king worthy of the throne. I taught Raoul to believe in that dream. And now my son is dead. So I am here to find out if his life was in vain. Yeah, like if everything had worked out, D'Artagnan and Athos would be like, you're insane. Uh, We're not doing this. But because Athos is now on that that darker path, um, he's sort of the one I think we're trying to rotate. It's like him and Philippe. It's like their their surrogate father-son relationship. Mm -hmm. So – I picked actors for the Three Musketeers that are much older than the actors who portrayed them in the original version were. So okay. Malkovich, Depardieu, and Irons were in their 50s, mm-hmm. mid-40s to 50s. I picked guys in their uh, – well, two of them were in their mid-60s and because oh. of who of my Aramis, his age is a lot younger. He's in his late 50s. Okay. So they're much older. I picked – a little uh, protege mentor reunion. I picked Liam Neeson. Oh, I picked him because how many movies have we seen where his <laughs> child is taken from them? 
And he goes on a tear and a half. No, I, I picked him because he's a great actor. And I yeah. obviously know that he can carry that, like, you know, that weight of, like, losing, mm-hmm. you know, his son and blaming the regime. Mm-hmm. You know, he spent his life defending the crown. And now the crown has taken the one thing in his life that he loves the most. And I think um, having those two actors of Christian Bale and Liam Neeson could be an interesting reprise of their Batman Begins roles of, like... <laughs> Uh, honestly, I really think it would be fun to see them kind of like have that chemistry of like the hero that D'Artagnan looked up to. Mm-hmm. He now has to like essentially kill. He has to like yeah come face to face. Yeah. With him. So that's who I picked, and I and um and I love it. <laughs> I <laughs> and love I did great. <laughs> and a plus gold star for Bry Guy. Um. Okay, let's move on to Porthos, who had absolutely no point oh in this movie. Oh my gosh, this movie is so bonkers. The whole story for Porthos is that he is he has erectile dysfunction. <laughs> no, honestly, guys, yeah. that's his storyline. Story. And he, he's like he, he feels like in his old age that he has become useless and he is correct. There's no use. My throat is bent. No, it will be all right. You're just taking a while to get started. I can make your sword straight. No, it's dead. It's dead. I'm useless. Useless. But there's no like emotional core. It's just like it's sort of like one last ride in the sunset. But you, mm-hmm. ne- I never got that from Gerard Depardieu. Oh, no. And I honestly believe they cast D- Gerard Depardieu because they're like, you know what? We're going to cast all French actors this time. A what? <laughs> oh, there are no French actors? <laughs> Just Gerard Depardieu? Okay, I guess he'll be Porthos. Like, like there's, they could have given this role to any yeah. other actor. Yeah. And I think I would have loved this movie way more. I, I just don't know what it is. There's nothing he does that really excites me when he's on screen. Also, in an odd way, I kept thinking they when they're all together, like walking side by side, they all look the same. And I don't know yeah. how they accomplished that because these actors look entirely different. Right. But for some reason, they all looked the same. They all look the same. Um, so I picked Adam Driver for my previous mm-hmm. Porthos. So it was extremely hard to find an actor that looked like Adam Driver in their mid-60s and also people know who they are and I could vouch for their work. Okay. <laughs> and the only person I could really think of – Uh-huh. His name is uh, – it's it's a Gaelic name I think so I hope I don't Ooh. mess this up. I think it's Kieran Hines. Oh, uh, yeah. Kieran Hines. Kieran Hines. He's on Game of Thrones. He plays Mance Raider mm-hmm. and he's in the new show The Terror which is getting good reviews mm-hmm. who my friend actually is a writer on that show. So shout out to them. But um, <laughs> he he I think is a really great actor, character actor and mm-hmm. I think he could play the kind of guy who's um, – looking for that one last adventure to feel alive again. I just, I know the rule is like, we're just taking the movie at hand, but we got to give this guy something more than that. Something more personal than that yeah. for him to, uh, just uh, something, anything else. Yeah. Anything that his dick doesn't work. It's just like, <laughs> that's so. Yeah. No, that really doesn't serve him. Well, no, I, I like him a lot. I think he's a phenomenal actor. Um, I don't know why I'm taken aback by how much older these people are than even I picked. 
Well, yeah. It's blowing my mind a little so bit. So Adam Driver is 34. Mm-hmm. And I had to, you know, 25 years on top of that. That's 59. So I had to pick actors in their 60s. Daniel Kaluuya is 28. So with mm-hmm. him, I got to pick a little bit younger. Daniel Kaluuya was my Aramis. Yeah. So it was hard. It, this one was hard because it's like when once you lock in your younger cast, mm-hmm. you're kind of pigeonholed to the older, yeah. to the you actors to, you can pick. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so for my Porthos in The Three Musketeers, I picked Daniel Ings. I feel like saying his name doesn't make a difference because you're like, who's that? Um, <laughs> look it up. So for my older Porthos, I picked Clive Owen. Oh, uh, yeah. How old is Clive Owen? 53. Wow. Who I picked because I like him a lot. I think he's a great actor. I think we see him as a very serious actor. Uh-huh. But he is a lot of fun to watch. So even if I, I wouldn't expect him to be the um bombastic buffoon yeah. Porthos that Gerard Depardieu plays. But if we sort of just make make what they're attempting to do a little more interesting and because the story itself of like he feels like his best days are behind him. Aramis, you did this, didn't you? I would try hiding myself and you saw the beam. I miss it. I miss it. Of course I knew. You've been moping around for months. Maybe now you've got the idea of killing yourself out of your head. You can stop boring everybody and be useful for a change. Like, I think there's something to work with there. And so I can see uh, Porthos's story through Clive Owen being this sort of thing of, like, he just feels like he's got nothing going for him anymore. And in the end, he realizes that the world still needs the Three Musketeers. Yeah, I, I like that idea that his journey is more of purpose rather than just, mm-hmm. like, sex. Yeah, yeah. Or vitality. there was a lot of, like, he's the one who's, like, going into the brothels, like... Yeah, like I could here I am, ladies. Yeah, like I could see a version of this movie where, like, in the end, spoiler alert, Philippe becomes King Louis. Like he, <gasps> he could, yeah, he <laughs> defeats evil. Um, but I could see like Philippe being like, Porthos, will you come back to the Musketeers and like train a bunch of like younger men or something? Yeah. You know what I mean, like get him to like get him back involved with you know now that like D'Artagnan, is, yeah. you know, is killed, like. We need someone to kind of lead these men, like someone who knows the musketeer way. I think that would have been a much better mm-hmm. story than like my dick works. Like, oh, <laughs> what a great day! We for did me. it. <laughs> um, I like that pick, and he does. They they do kind of have a, a similarity in the eyes, which I, I think is great. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to Aramis. Aramis, I'll say this: this is my favorite part of the movie. Okay, tell me about it. I I really do enjoy how like the twist and like sort of at the end of Act One, where Aramis brings the musketeers together, and he's like, "The king has charged me with finding the head of the Jesuits," mm-hmm. and he's like, "It's me." And that idea that like Aramis has been, Ar- Aramis knows about this plot this whole time, and there's mm-hmm. been this conspiracy for developing for years. And he's trying to, to atone for like a mistake he made that's like ruined the nation yeah. and the people of France. And I think Jeremy Irons, I think, is the bright – him and Gabriel Byrne, like the bright shining moments in this movie. Unfortunately for Jeremy Irons, he shares most of his scenes with Gerard Depardieu. Yeah. The, the like jellyfish that is Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> oh, gosh. You can name me one thing. One single thing that is more sublime than the feel of a plump pink nipple between my lips. 
I'll build you a new cathedral. Forgiveness. Forgive me. Am I forgiven? I observe your forgiveness isn't sweeter than a plum. People don't you understand? I'm trying to pray. You're always praying. I really enjoy this. I this is the part of the movie that I really enjoy is like the conspiracy, the plotting. Mm-hmm. Like that's what makes like a Musketeers movie like the grand adventure. Um, and so I like this version of Aramis, like the the guy who like returned to the church after his days of musketeering were over, Mm -hmm. but he's still like, um, it's like, it's weird. Like in the first movie, he's a man of God wearing the tunic of a musketeer. Yeah. But in this movie, he's wearing the tunic of a priest Mm -hmm. when he's really has the heart of a musketeer. Mm -hmm. And so I picked Daniel Kaluuya in the last episode, Mm -hmm. the only actor I wanted for this role was Forrest Whitaker. I needed Forrest Whitaker. Do they look alike? No. Is one British and one American? Absolutely. But I I love Forrest Whitaker so much that to give him this role. You were are you confounded by this? What's the problem here? Why aren't you following along with me? I'm trying to imagine like for is Forrest Whitaker playing this part? In his in his American accent. No, but he can do accents. Have you not seen The Last King of Scotland? I have. Yeah. Okay. An actor. So what does he have to do? A British accent? He's not yeah. trying to do a French accent. I'm sure he can do a British accent. It's Forrest Whitaker. I don't know. If you can do a South African Honestly, accent, you can do a British accent. South African is way harder than a British accent. I I don't know. Kenna, I need you on board with this. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know how. Why? I, I don't. I sort of feel like Forrest Whitaker has lost me a bit. Why? Given his performance in what was the last thing I saw him in? Maybe Rogue One. Yeah, where he played. Like, he gives the, a bonkers performance as like a man colonel, who's half yeah. machine. Yeah. Um. Okay. 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 So the scene. <laughs> this. I mean, I'm trying to think of all of the scenes in this movie, but I, I've easily forgotten them Mm -hmm. but the scene where he tells philippe his origin Mm -hmm. and that he is the one responsible for putting him in the prison i think forrest whitaker that's like t-ball for him that's not even baseball he'll just tee it up out of the park on his deathbed he revealed your existence to louis and your mother but now louis was king he was afraid to kill you for his whole claim of power rested on the sanctity of royal blood so instead he devised a way to keep you forever hidden. For my country, for my king, I bought peace with your life and with my soul. I have lots of questions about that scene in general. Like, the first one being, why did they explain who he was to him? Is, because I was like, why didn't we have this scene before they kidnapped Philippe? The, oh, why doesn't Aramis admit to the Yeah, crime? why doesn't he explain this to the musketeers and then they go save him? Because here's the thing. Philippe's only been in this prison in the mask for six years. That's not a long time. Because like they say, he spent, what, 16 years being raised as like a nobleman. Just, I, just separate from from the king yeah the whole time i was like i mean he didn't lose his mind in prison like he knows how long he's been there he knows he knows to a certain degree what's happening he probably he probably doesn't know that he he doesn't know he's the twin of the king no he does not know that but there were just times when i was like why are you explaining his life to him as you sit here like why didn't we have that scene before and then they launch into this like scooby-doo plot of hiding him under a cloak 
with this Italian accent. Alla peste, come l'altro prete. Says the prisoner has a fever just like the other prisoners. Plague, super plague in here. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. No, no, die. L'extrema unzione. No, that's why it's getaway. Don't you want to see Forrest Whitaker? Hide a man under a cloak, do an like, Italian accent. Opened his cloak and a person fell out. I was like, what is happening in this movie? I just got the image of Ace Ventura in <laughs> two when he like like is birthed out of the rhino. Yeah. Um, I don't know why they did it. Again, this movie has script problems, but in yeah, terms yeah. of like character, I don't know. I think your problems lie with the words. And not so much Mr. Whitaker himself. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I, I'll say this. I think I need to see it to believe it. All right, Hollywood, you heard it. Give us give us the Man in the Iron Mask, and we will give you the Man in the Iron Mask movie that you've all <laughs> been craving. Huh. All right, well, who do you uh, – Is who that was true? Your, who was your Aramis um, last time? So my Aramis last time was Jack O'Connell. Um, And so the Aramis I picked – for the man in the iron mask is Jason Isaacs. Mm. Lucius Malfoy himself. Here's the thing I like about Jason Isaacs. He's a great actor. Um, What if that was it? What if I didn't say anything afterwards? Do you want to speak to the character uh, of Aramis maybe <laughs> and why this actor? Because here's the thing about Aramis. He is the one who is the mastermind because he's the one who knows who that Philippe exists. Um, more than that, I wanted someone to be in here because this is a broader issue with the movie, but stuff just kind of happens in the movie. Like there's a point where they're in the middle of training Philippe to be the king mm -hmm. when Aramis and Porthos run away to Paris and they're literally, they're in such a rush to leave and they're leaving Athos with Philippe. And they're just sort of like, we have to go to Paris. Like, things are happening. We have to go. And I was like, what is happening? So then when he gets to Paris, they find out that, like, the king is having a ball. And so it's like, this is the perfect time. So we got to hurry things up. But they don't – do they ever explain why he goes to Paris? They just happen to find out that that's the case. And so then Porthos goes to the brothel and is like, we'll make the sure the ladies finish the dress. Like – they accomplish things, but stuff was just happening. And I was like, what's, why are, why are we here? What's going on? What is driving this movie? Where are you going? Paris. There's still much to be done. I'll be gone for a few days. Make sure everything is ready. But you want me to do the impossible and you want me to do it alone? The urgency is not my choice. Instead of distributing the food as he promised, Louis has ordered that all rioters be shot. And can you imagine what will happen? And the starving people of Paris hear about his new ball. This is not for me, Apple. This is for everything we once were and might be again. You know, I, I honestly don't remember. I, the whole time I just kept thinking, like, did Christine really <laughs> just sleep with the king the next day? After for the next her two hours, you were just like, but Christine. I'm honestly, I'm just like, I couldn't believe this woman. Um. Yeah, I don't know. That's the that's That's the part of the movie that I was like. Why, why is this happening? Like the, the idea is get like the structure yeah. should be get Philippe out of the castle, train him to be Louis, get just a scene where they get in, where, or they already know that the king is having mm -hmm. the party, go to the party, make the switcheroo. 
And then from then on, it's just a much cleaner thing. But you're right. There's like this weird detour. And then I completely just was like, I don't need to yeah. know this. It's just so odd because now I'm thinking about it. There's that scene where Aramis is sitting in the confession booth with Anne, Queen Anne. And she, I think she's the one who's like, you know, Louis displeased with his mistress and they're moving the ball up to do And so I'm like, has she been in on it this the whole time? Like – no, because he like tells what her. What is driving this movie? And so uh, to bring it all back, I wanted to pick – like clearly Aramis has to be someone that like the the stuff he did as a musketeer is weighing on him heavily. And he's chosen to fully just give it up because he's like, I don't want to deal with that anymore. And – but I like this sort of notion that from the beginning he's like – Porthos like finds him and is like, oh, he's praying. And he's like, yeah, because that's what I do. To then him sort of getting back into the lifestyle of being a musketeer and being like, yeah, but this is what I'm good at. Like scheming, plotting, making it happen. I just want to see an actor who is actually going to create a plan and put it into motion and have it not just be like the audience shows up in the scene in media res and we're like, oh, we're joining them on this thing that they clearly talked about for hours before, but we don't get to see any of that. We just get right. to see them f- do whatever is happening. I think it's that's bonkers. Right. I think Aramis has to be sort of like a chess master the whole time. Yeah. Like he makes the mistake and from then on he's been plotting to change it. And now this is the time. But you're right. There's a lot of there's a lot of little detours to this movie that doesn't need at all. Like Raul going to war takes a long time to get to. Like yeah. we all know he this engagement is doomed from the start. Mm-hmm. The minute that the king sees Christine, it's like mm-hmm. there he's fucked specifically. Yeah. But I think it's another like 20 maybe like 10 15 minutes until he actually dies. And it's, just it's like, so much time that when he shows back up to his house and his dad's like out all night, I was like, it's only been one night. Ah, out celebrating all night. Raul, what's the matter? I've been recalled to my regiment. But that makes no sense. I believe the king's eye has fallen on Christine. It's true the king has noticed her, but I don't think it has anything to do with her. It has everything to do with it. The king is a dog. <laughs> He's only been gone one night? <laughs> yeah, this 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 movie's very bloated. As this podcast is starting to turn into because we... I feel like we're giving this – we're letting the energy of this movie dictate yeah. the energy of this podcast. Force yourself to smile when you talk about Come on. Um, um, yeah, let's just be like Oliver Platt. <laughs> channel, channel 1993, Oliver Platt. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Louis and Philippe. This movie came out a year after Titanic. How on earth did they get Leonardo DiCaprio? Well, it was probably this movie. It was probably in production when Titanic came out. I did. Did you read that part in the trivia where they're like, we realized that we didn't know the audience for this movie because the majority of the people that showed up were women like under 25. Yeah. Um, Because Leonardo DiCaprio like was it. Mm -hmm. Everything. (laughs) I feel terrible saying this because I don't think Leonardo DiCaprio is a bad actor. I think he's bad for this part. Yeah. And I think what seems exciting and juicy about this role is that you're playing two people. You're playing tyrannical King Louis and then The head of the 17th century pussy posse. 
How terrible is that part when he's like, who is that person? And his friend is like, oh, that's Raul. And he's like, I know you like to look at the young officers, but I was talking about the woman and everybody's like, ha, ha, ha. Can we not like... Again, this is what Americans think of French people. And I'm sorry, <laughs> France. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, I just don't think ultimately that he was, especially with his like Midwestern accent. L- oh, yeah. Wh- which which do you think, which role do you think he played better? Louis or Philippe? Philippe. Really? I yeah. weirdly believed him better as Louis. Really? Yeah, because I can kind of see DiCaprio being kind of an asshole. Like someone who was like very famous when they're young, got mm-hmm. incredibly famous still while they're young, and then mm-hmm. just is like living a life of fame and privilege for a oh, long wow. time. Oh, wow. I'm not saying he's not a nice guy, but um, I just – like Philippe to me was such a doe-eyed character that I was just like – it's like he he was so good – Compared mm-hmm. to Louis's just pure egomania. D'Artagnan, you will hunt down Porthos, Athos, and Aramis and bring me their heads, or I will have yours. And as for you, my brother, back to the prison you shall go, and into the mask you hate. Louis, don't. Wear it until you love it! Yeah, obviously he'd make a better king, but then in my head I was like, you know, if you give this guy five years, three years, He's going to be exactly like Louis. Like if you give you someone – if you give someone – absolute power corrupts absolutely. Like if you if you became the leader of America, you you it would change you. Like it would change you. Like I don't think you would stay, you know, as good as you hope you would. But here's the thing. I think in a way you're correct. It changes you. But given his past experience, the fact that he's literally been kept inside an iron mask for the oh, last six years. I thought you were talking about Leo. <laughs> It's like his past experience. What happened to him? What happened to him? Um, Like, I think Philippe, he's just coming from a different place. Yeah. I beg that you kill me. I release you from any sin in taking my life. In fact, I pray that God reward you for your mercy to do it. But please do not return me to the prison where I have lived for so long. So I don't know. Who do you who? I mean, here's the thing. I kind of... I've only seen this person in one thing, and so I kind of picked a pretty face. Yeah. But it's just so darn pretty. I picked Dacre Montgomery. Who? Who? Oh, I know who he is. He was, he, I thought his name was, is it, oh, it is Dacre. I, for some reason, I was reading it as Darcy. Um, <laughs> yeah, from the Power Rangers movie and Stranger Things. Yeah. I thought about him for the original Musketeers. This is Oh, a good pick. for D'Artagnan? Yeah, for like D'Artagnan. He was on my list, and then as soon as I put him on the list, I was like, no, 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 no. He's he's very talented. I haven't seen him in Stranger Things, but what like what's weird is like the Power Rangers movie is insane. But um he's very charismatic. Like he he's very easily watchable and Yeah. I mean, he wears the most questionable wig I have ever seen in Stranger Things. <laughs> um and his character doesn't make a lot of sense, but he was great. Yeah. And I haven't seen Power Rangers, but sure. You know what you got to do? Pop open a lot of wine. <laughs> you have to. You watch have, Power Rangers. And you every have time, to imbibe. <laughs> yeah, because the drinking game, every time they mention Krispy Kreme donuts, you got to drink. <laughs> what? Seriously. Pa- the Power Rangers movie is essentially an ad for Krispy Kreme donuts. That's weird. Um, I like this pick. He's a really he's a really uh, charismatic guy. And I think you're right. Like that duality of P.O.S. Louie and like humble <laughs> – um, 
Philippe. Altruistic Philippe. You could probably do. I picked on him. You know what's weird is I was railing against Leo's like American accent the whole time. <gasps> and then you picked an American. And I picked an American. <gasps> and I have no idea if he can do an accent, but we're, I don't, I don't know. Okay. I picked Evan Peters from American Horror Story and the previous X-Men movies. It's a very broad choice. Huh? <laughs> Excuse you? What do you mean it's a broad choice? I'm sort of imagining Evan Peters in this role, and it is big. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess it's big. I don't, I, I didn't see, I don't see him that way. I see him as, you know, he's just, to me, he's kind of like a young, he's like a young person who has immense power. And I, and I thought that that would be an interesting role for him to have. Okay. Um, I, I like Evan Peters a lot as an actor. That's the thing. He's like charismatic he can also be funny so it's mm-hmm. like like we were talking about before like this movie needs humor so like in the philippe scenes maybe we could squeeze in a little haha although philippe's tortured so it's like he's probably yeah, not no, no, in no. a mood for jokes would it have been too much of a dead giveaway okay if i cast tom holland as king louis yeah <laughs> I mean, like, why is tom holland playing two roles in the see shouldn't he be that what well, uh, oh could you King imagine? Louis is D'Artagnan's son. I get it. There. Oh, here's Didn't another. I feel a little shoehorned. Here's by the another way? crazy thing: is that there are so many twists in this movie. Twist number one: the there's a man in a mask that is the king's twin brother. Then, twist number two: is it just that like D'Artagnan is their father? No, twist number two is that Aramis was the one who kidnapped Philippe and jailed him. Yes. And so he's responsible for all this. Twist number three is he's now the head of the Jesuits who are trying to kill Louis. And then four (laughs) is the twist that D'Artagnan is... The twins father. Father. Who is then raised... Like, Philippe is then, like, asks Athos to, like, be his dad. Oh, gosh. Can you be my dad? After all you have done, I must ask you one more service. Let me love you like a son to a father, and I pray you live for this. Love me like your son. This movie should be called Daddy Issues. Yeah, this movie should be called Three Dads and a King. <laughs> oh, how weird is the scene at the end? Because it's not its not that um, D'Artagnan asks him to be a father to his son. It's that Philippe asks Athos to be his father. <laughs> What a weird encounter. That's really at, at D'Artagnan's grave. D'Artagnan because you and you know it's his grave because it just says D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan. <laughs> okay, that wraps up our five characters for the reboot. Let's get to where does Barry Pepper go? I made Barry Pepper the Jesuit that tries to kill Louis. Mm, okay. No lines. No, no, no. As he's dying, he says what does he say? Feed your people or something like that. <laughs> um, I put Barry Pepper as the character. The character is called this on IMDb. King's advisor. But played, it's played by, by Hugh, Hugh Laurie. Laurie. Yeah. Who gets oh boy. executed for, I don't know, doing, he like, he was the one who gave them rotten food, even though Louis said to just give them the rotten food. That's, that's abusive. Yeah. Um, any other bits? I have one more bit, actually. Oh, okay. Could you believe Christine? Could you even believe? Could you even? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, 
Uh, Parts okay. of this movie look super cheap. No? Mm-hmm. Raul's death. Very cheap. The wigs. Oh, the cheapest. That backdrop from when they're in the sort of cavern trying to escape with... Um, with Louis. Yeah, that's a set. There's like a cheap. little cheap. There's a little pool of water. Cheap, cheap AF. Do you know what the cheapest prop in this movie was? What? The iron mask. Right. What was it made of? I. It looked like rubber. Okay. <laughs> or you just wanted me to say it was made of iron? Oh, I I thought maybe you had a real answer. I don't know what it was made of, but basically, like my favorite part. This is the this is the epitome of how you know. The, the level of class this movie has. So at the very end, when the f- the four musketeers and Philippe are being faced by Louis and the King's men, and they have their no choice but to go around the corner and charge. Mm-hmm. And it's, oh it's the gosh. four musketeers in full musketeer regalia looking fly as shit. <laughs> and Philippe in his like rags and his head. And the Oh my gosh. And the listeners aren't gonna see what I do, but he basically like turns Side to side, like, what do we do? We're ready, guys. And it's just so funny. It's Every, so funny. That whole last sequence where they don't take the mask off of him, he it's comical. It's, it's hilarious. So I'm shocked there wasn't a scene where he runs into something and is like, boing, boing, boing. It, like, <laughs> I wish I wish these clips had audio because I want to put them in. But when he's just, they show him in the prison, just like clanging his head against <laughs> the bars. Like I was, I really wanted to like download, it, like steal that clip and just make like a GIF and just like save it somewhere and be like, here you go, Reddit. Here is a Somebody GIF for the Somebody meme this. Oh God! All right, wow, well, guys, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Boot. I hope you had as much, if hopefully more, fun watching this movie than Ken and I did. You this know what's one- gonna make this part a lot better? Just screw our traditional ending and play all for love again yeah we'll just repeat it (laughs) um if you did like this episode please check out the previous episode if you haven't already and the previous episodes before that subscribe please rate follow us online kenna how can they do that you can find this podcast on apple podcast stitcher and wherever you get your podcasts look us up you can find us together as this podcast on social media at the boot podcast on twitter and at boot podcast on Instagram, you can find us separately because it's fine if you like one of us more than the other. I get it. It's me. You find me at Kenna Trent. You can find Brian at Flynn B. Alright guys, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Let's make it One for all, Nathaniel. And all for one.